0: Anwadita, welcome to Tell a Friend. You, hello. So I wanted to begin our conversation um, right at the beginning and wondering if you could talk to me about your early years growing up in Britain.
1: Uh, I was born in Birmingham. Uh, and I was, me and my sister were like our childhoods were there for a few years. And as far as I can remember we were in Rochdale and my parents separated and I can remember that I was going to Rochdale school. In those days you used to start very late certain age. I can't remember I already been for a few years to school and then we custody i don't remember how we ended up with dad and dad sent us to pakistan we were very small and the last thing i know we were with our grandparents and it it was a very unusual childhood to be honest my grandmother was ill she couldn't walk that much she had to she used to shake a lot and grandfather used to have a farm and he used to stay much at the farm and my cousin sister that we traveled with she put us into school but our grandfather came and he took us out of school he didn't let us go to school. So that was end of our schooling in nineteen sixty two and my cousin sister got married, and that was it then no schooling. I got married in nineteen sixty eight um, I had my three children there. I came back in nineteen seventy five i seen my mother, when my mother went from Pakistan and I asked my mum, I want to go back home. And she says, okay, I'll take you to Islamabad because you're included in my passport and we'll go and get your passport made. So we went to Islamabad and the embassy was closed so nothing could be done. So she says, I'm closed, closed, so we can't do nothing about it. So she says, perhaps when I come next time, we could do something. So by that time, my husband came to England. He went to first, his friend called him to Denmark. He had a friend in Denmark, he sponsored him. He went to Denmark. And then in that end, I think there was a law made in England that if you are married to a British citizen, you can call your wife and children over. So my husband said, you can come over with your mum and, you know, with the children, it'll be no problem. So my mum says, I can't take your children, but I can take you. You're included in my passport, so you can go with me. So I traveled with my mom in 75, not knowing nothing about the law or if I can go or not. So naive, I just traveled with my mom. In 76, I had a daughter that was born here. I applied for the children. And that's where my nightmare began with the immigration authorities saying these are not your children. I went to the solicitor. The solicitor said, you've got all the documents that you need. You've got the birth certificates. uh, You've got your marriage certificate. You've got all the documentation that you need and you've applied. And, you know, they just said that we need more evidence, how you went, how you came. I explained, we were interviewed at Manchester Airport. Everything the Home Office asked, I did. But every time we were interviewed, uh, letters going and coming, uh, they kept asking for more, more evidence. I kept giving more evidence, more statements, uh, went to the MP, Sarah Smith saying, uh, I'll write to them. He came to a stage where he said that I don't know what the fuss is about. He was getting really annoyed. I was getting frustrated. The children, you know, they were very small. My youngest child, she was breastfeeding when I left her. It was, you know, like I was getting frustrating, Uh, I was working as a machinist, Uh, my husband was doing night shifts, Uh, I went to a public meeting in Rochdale, it was um, a community relation, you know the CRE thing, I hope you'll understand because I had four strokes and I can't sometimes say certain words. No,
0: that's fine. that's fine.
1: So, and I went there and they said, I listened to the public meeting and then from there they said, there's another meeting down Manchester. Would you like to go? And I said, yes. So I went there and they said, oh, has anybody got any immigration problems? And I said, yes, I have. I've got three children in Pakistan. And this is what the Home Office is saying, that these are not your children. And this is the evidence that I've already given. And from there, a defense committee was set up. That people from that meeting came to my house and a lot of people got involved. Like Asian Youth Movement, then the organ, different organization, Labour Party, then revolutionary communist groups. You name it. Then people slowly, slowly, my campaign just slowly, slowly bit, got got bigger and bigger and bigger, and it was unbelievable. It got international, and I can't I still, Still, you know, when I remember, I cannot forget what I've been through, to be honest with you. You know, what the Home Office put me through, it's like a nightmare. Even now, when I remember, you know, like the Defence Committee said to me, Anwar, we used to go to public meetings, go to conferences, student unions, you know, like, um, what's it called, universities. We, there's no place that I haven't been where I spoke. I spoke to a lot of meetings, uh, street meetings, uh, you name it, and I have been, uh, and I used to go every, We came down into town centre with a bucket and petitioning, going door to door, going places, uh, begging people, please sign my petition for my children to help me bring them home. Got the petition signed, uh, deliver it to the home officer. And they weren't bulging at all. They were just saying more new evidence, more new evidence. Timothy Rees Then it was the Labour Party that refused. And then it was just campaign just, you know, stronger and stronger and stronger. But then the appeal came up. Then they said appeal, so I appealed. Then that was turned down. Then another appeal came up, I was turned down. Then there was another appeal, uh, what's it called, uh, a review. When the review came up, they totally, they did not even look at the documents. They just closed the case. They just like threw the documents away in a way. They just said, no. Now, what do we do? We saw a barrister, Ian Macdonald, in London. He died now just a few months ago. He was a very good barrister he said look hanwa i'll take your case up but i don't want to i want you to be strong and i want to, you to be campaigning and i want to see you in people hearing about you the campaign being strong so that's what i did i just campaigned and the people were behind me people believed me the home office didn't believe me but the people did the campaign grew and grew and then with the campaign the defense committee decided because i from the day one gave in the newspaper that i am willing to pay the Home Office the expenses to go to investigate to check are they my children? I am willing to give a blood test. I am willing to do. And I am willing to accept a prison sentence if the Home Office can prove that they are not my children. This is the first thing I gave in the Rochdale Observer. But the Home Office never took any notice. So the Defence Committee took that up. They sent a solicitor from here. The barrister drew up all the evidence that we needed. So the solicitor went from here. She got statements from the what's it called, the midwife who delivered the babies, the priest who performed our marriage, witnesses who were present at some of the birth of the children, photographs and things that were taken years ago were certified here. Fingerprints were Mine, I had to go down to the police station and I had to give fingerprints and thumbprints to the police to be verified that I had a, a identity card made in Pakistan. They said that I never went to Pakistan, the Home Office. And I said, I did travel to Pakistan when my parents separated. They said, i never been. So I had to prove that I did go and I did come. So thumbprint, fingerprints, proof on the identification card that I've been to Pakistan and signature, we had that privately verified. Then I had to, had tests done by a gynecologist to prove that I gave birth to more than one child. Because when I gave birth to a child here in 1976, I gave all the details that I have three other children that were born abroad, which years they were born, how they were born and what complications and everything I had. So if I didn't have children before, Why would I give details then? So the gynecologist gave a report that she's had children before that tests were done. Then the defense committee had a blood test done in London of me, my husband, the child that was born here then the three children that were born abroad, same time that they, they gave blood, a doctor was sent out from here, the Defence Committee paid. Oh, it's too hard for me. The doctor from London went, he took blood from the three children, Their home office said, these are not your children, they are your sister-in-law's children. So my sister-in-law, my brother-in-law had to give blood. They had to go to the embassy and the doctor, they gave blood in front of them, they had to verify. And then the blood was flown out. Then a documentary was made, World in Action. The World in Action people got involved and they said, look Hanwa, we'll make the documentary. But if you are telling lies, we're still going to put the documentary on. And if you are telling the truth, we'll still put the documentary on. I said, I don't care what you say, but I am. we are telling the truth. These are our children. You know, when we were campaigning, it was so hard. I was working day and night. My husband was working. He was coming back from work. He was driving when we were going to meeting. I was feeding him while he was driving. I was taking my little one with me, that was born here, or dropping her off at next door's neighbor. I was working for Mark Spencer in a factory. I had to give up that job. They said, "Oh, you have to give up your job because you are going on meetings because it was coming in newspapers. And I had to keep taking time off and they didn't like it. So I had to give that job up. Then the job that I was doing for the National Health Service at home, I was a machinist I was doing at home. So I had to do that. And the Defence Committee was helping me with that because I had to do certain production. I was doing 200 pillowcases for ATP and they said, if you don't do certain amount of work every week, we'll have to take your work away. And in those days, 20 pound, 25 pound was a lot of money because we were supporting back home responsibility of the children we had a mortgage to pay here we were phoning home our phone bill came up once over 500 pound then going to meetings then getting posters made uh, demonstrations uh, leaflets making going door-to-door collecting signatures uh, you know, it was very hard, right? It was very hard. Then i have gone on to antidepressants. You know, coping with that, it was very hard. Being apart from your children. Getting abused outside when you were going, being scared. I was standing on the bus stop one day, I was going on a meeting. And I can remember this person recognised me and said, why don't you go back where you've come from? And I said, I've come from Birmingham. And you know what that person did? That person spat on me. That person spat on me. And the other people that were standing by did not say nothing. I was walking down town one day with my husband and we were coming. My husband was in front and I was at the back. And this lady came from the back and she just pulled my hair and says, why don't you just start swearing? and just say, why don't you, you know, go back where you've come from and all, you know, came out with all this kind of, you know, bad language. You know, these sort of things you cannot forget. I've still got all these, you know, letters, these racist letters that used to come with the razor blades in. So if I open them, I could cut my fingers. You know, they're all down. At the uh, library, I've given, donated all my campaign stuff, as I told you, down to the library, central library in Manchester. I've donated all, everything down there. So I've been through a lot of health since childhood, from being separated from my parents, uh, not knowing uh, why they separated. I wouldn't wish anything like this to happen to anybody. The more the Home Office were determined to say no, the more stronger I got to fight that I wanted my children. Because they were our children. You know, it was hard, it was hard, what the Home Office put me through. I can never forget, never forget. And I still can't understand why they put me through all this. Why did I have to go through all that? Why did they... Why did they have to... In a way, they abused me. You know, it's abuse, isn't it? I mean... you.
0: Know, I'm, I'm so sorry to hear that you, you went through all of that. I mean, it's absolutely harrowing to think that, you know, you were enduring that much abuse, not only from the state, but also from from people, like you were saying, at the bus stop. Yeah. I I want to know, when you were speaking, you said you, you'd go to universities to speak, you would um, help with the campaign, uh, getting your story out there. How did you find the strength and courage to go on, because I cannot, I cannot imagine what it's like every single day coming against that much opposition and still finding the strength to go back out there, to keep on campaigning. Where did you find that strength from? The people
1: gave me that strength and the children. You know, more, the more that I looked at the children's photographs, listening to their tapes, uh, you know, the tape recording their voices. Um, the public gave me the strength. The mothers out there gave me the strength. The letters gave me the strength. The the students that walked, that came on demonstrations, uh, and one of the demonstrations, uh, the Indian Association came from Birmingham. And the one person died on our demonstration. He had a heart attack and he died. I can never forget, you know, the public support every time I went out. It was with the public support that gave me that strength. I was just an ordinary housewife. Just cooking and cleaning and working. That's all I was. Even my own community wasn't supporting me. I'm not going to lie saying that, you know, the Asian community, apart from the Asian youth movement or the younger community, you know, the youngsters out there, the young girls, the students, the young mothers that had feelings knowing that, you know, a mother is struggling who believed in me, that walked beside me, you know, people out there from all backgrounds, you know, from every religion, you know, supported me. They were my strength. You know, every political party supported me. You know, I said, i want everybody's help, everybody's help and they were there for me. I don't want to be for political reasons. I want people to help me as a mother. I want to be treated as a human being. I want my children and I'll do anything to have my children and people did help me. Financially people helped me. Donations uh, people sent me, money people sent me, pocket money children sent me, students. Uh, you, you won't believe, you know, the letters that, you know, one day if you go down to Manchester, you will see the letters there and the people, the donations that they used to send uh, on regular basis. Uh, Honest to God, it's unbelievable. Without the public support, I wouldn't have succeeded. I would not have succeeded. And then the MPs, Joe Barnett, he helped me a lot when Cyril Smith dropped the case. He said, I don't know what the fuss is about. He just dropped the case and I just turned around and said, You don't know what the fuss is about uh, because you're not a parent yourself, and I just turned around. You're a bastard yourself, and then it was front newspaper headliner, you know, Cyril, you know, Smith, blah blah blah. It was front line newspaper headline. Then Joe Barnett took the case up, and then Tony Ben, he took you know, supported me all the way. Then there was the demonstration about the anti-apartheid demonstration. I spoke at that. There was about, I think, over 20,000 people. I spoke at that demonstration. There was a lot of support from that for me. You know, it was unbelievable. Without the public support, I would have not succeeded. And I am really grateful to the public, even today. You know, I would like to thank everybody that supported me and helped me. In every town and city, there was a support group that was set up. and Anwadita support group for the Defence Committee, that people set it up to raise money, people did fundraising, people did all sorts of walk, marches to raise money. And they sent money, you know, to the Defence Committee to send the solicitor from here. And then with the documentary being made, uh, and when we won the case, uh, and then what did the Home Office did? They gave no, they didn't even apologise. They did not have the, a decency, never mind giving compensation what they put us through. They didn't even apologize. They just said, sorry for the delay. And they just allowed the children. That's it. And if it wouldn't have been for the World in Action and the public support and the campaign, I don't think my children would have been here, you know. They wouldn't have been
0: here. I, w- I wanted to touch upon a point that you, you mentioned uh, just a second ago where you said you were just an ordinary housewife. And yeah. I, I, I want you to know you, you are a hero for everything that you did during that time. And, you know, your work is appreciated. But something that I think often happens when we look at cases like yours, um, we see the achievements, but we don't recognize the trauma that went behind it. And you are robbed of your innocence. You were robbed of your ordinary life yeah. in order to fight. And yeah. um, I I can only thank you for everything that you did and say, I'm so sorry that you had, you had to go through all of that.
1: It... I've been robbed of everything. Uh, I've been robbed of my parents, my childhood, my children's childhood, six years of that life. Up till now, uh, I'm still finding problems that bond between the children. You can never prove to your children that that you love them because there's that gap between the children has left that thing in them. It's, it's hard to, you know, it has left a big thing in between them. How can I describe it? Uh, co- the Home Office has caused a lot of damage. There's a big damage. The damage that they caused me is a big one. I will never forget that. The torture, that there, it's been a torture, but the damage that they caused the relationship between me and my children, that's a different thing. But life is hard, life is hard. When you remember those times, you cannot forget. You you go out. You you you're living. i living in fear. I'll be honest with you. You're not accepted as British. You're not accepted as Asian, as Pakistani. You go out. You think, who's going? What's going to happen? Is somebody going to hit you? Is somebody going to say something? You go to, you know, like in my whole life, I've only been twice to Pakistan. You go there, you feel you're not accepted. You know, you're like an alien. Here, nobody accepts you either because the color of your skin. Why? I think this is my home, but it's not. You think that's my home? It's not. What kind of a life is it? That's what I want to know. What life, my my ancestors have served in the Navy, in the Army. What have we gained? You know, my mom's side of the family, they were in the Navy. My dad was a teacher. You know, well, my, well, my ancestors of gained. You know, what we've gained is fear, fear.
0: And I think w- when we look at your, your case, it's, it clearly uh, shows that the hostile environment within the Home Office has been there for decades. This is not a new phenomenon. And when you saw the 2018 Windrush scandal that broke out, did that, like, what was going through your mind? Because that must have been so uh, exhausting to realize that everything you fought for it, it's still happening today. Yeah. And the fight still goes on. You
1: could see how many people died, people, how they struggled. Looking at the documentary seeing it really scared and it really, the fear got more worse. It showed that how people are still struggling, how people, families are still divided for years and years, it's not ending where is it going to end brian that's what i want to know when our people are going to be free when you know when you listen to those people when you when i listen when i look at the documentaries and when sometimes you can't even stop crying you know it's so much hurtful the wordings and the struggles and how the people came to this country at a young age, how they worked so hard, how they used to send money back home, and they still their families are divided, and the Home Office are still keeping them apart. And look at the way now they are rushing and saying we are willing to do this and we're willing to do this and we're willing. The pay compensation, will it bring their families together? Will it bring their lives together? Will it take their pain away? No, no, it won't. It hasn't taken my pain away. No matter how much they'll pay to anybody, it won't take their pain away. Do you think so?
0: I completely agree. Um, I think money um, can only do so much. But as we can see in your case, the trauma that it leaves behind, the damage that it wreaks on families, on individuals, on communities, you can't repair that. And I I think the problem that we have in Britain when it comes to our discourse on immigration is people quantify, uh, migrants. People don't humanize migrants. People don't realize that there's a story to every single figure you're seeing. That this many thousand people entering yeah. the country, they all have stories. Yeah. And this is why I wanted to have you on the show because in the current climate we're in, where we're having immigration you know on headline news when we're hearing far right rhetoric coming out i think it is so important that people look back and hear those stories so that they know that that people are human too and they deserve to be treated as such
1: if you look at it what people go to different countries to have a better life they just don't go to other countries and get freebies. They work hard. I worked very hard. I worked for pennies. I used to work for hours and hours, uh, like I was saying, doing pillowcases, doing theatre gowns. Uh, theatre gowns uh, were like, you know, like little children's... Uh, you know, newborn gowns uh, for £1.20, for 400. Uh, I used to do, you know, like disposable garments uh, for the hospital, uh, you know, for peanuts. Uh, I used, But I worked because I earned, I wanted to earn. A lot of people worked for their living. Uh, why did they come to come to this country, you know, they say they come for benefits. No, if you look like you said at the wind rush, all those people worked. I haven't heard of anybody in those documentaries that they were on benefits. They were all working people when they came to this country. Not even one person I've heard that were on benefit. They were working people. People came to this country for economic reasons, to work. I came to this country thinking it was my home. Well, at the end, it was not my home. They never treated me as my home. You know, they say, your British nationality is worth nothing. If you're born here, it's worth nothing. I think it's worth nothing, really
0: and do you think the media has a role to play in the way that we talk about immigration
1: yeah they have they have they they give the opposite stories they don't tell the truth sometimes about black people they always give different stories you know i'm not saying that mistake. people don't make mistakes. People do make mistakes. At the end of the day, we are all human beings. If I were educated, if I were, knew what the law was, I would have gone straight to the embassy and said, I've got three children. I came to this you know, to Pakistan. I want to go back home. My parents separated, blah, blah, blah. And perhaps I would have come straight. I wouldn't have had to go through what I've been through but I didn't know how to do it and everything was all just messed up but the Home Office put me through more help and the home you know the newspapers uh, some of them picked the story really bad and gave the opposite to it and the immigrants are they give a lot of bad stories, a lot of bad stories, a lot of bad names and a lot of, you know, I don't know, there's no words what to say really.
0: And when, and when World in Action uh, first approached you uh, to cover your case, were you um, anxious about their motives? Were you um, anxious about how they would represent you and represent your story?
1: Uh, what happened was, the uh, Labour Party had their, um, what's it called, A fringe meetings uh, at their conference and I used to go down and I used to go to the fringe meeting and I was speaking and uh, this producer, Ian McDonald and Ray Fitz-Walter, uh they heard me speak and they said that, you know, to um, Jane Layton, who was a reporter who was covering my story, Granada report. She was covering all the reports and she she was approached and they said to her, we would like to make a documentary on her case. And then she approached me and she said, World in Action wants to make a documentary. And I said, "Okay, I'm willing, you know, And she says, either way, they want to put it on. And I says, okay. I had no objection to it because I had nothing to hide, Brian. I had nothing to hide. But with my case coming more stronger, you know, I only told you a little bit of my case, a little bit of the campaign. There's a lot more to it, you know, about the campaign a lot more to it. A lot of things that, you know, I did, a lot of things, and the defence campaign. You know, the Law Society, they had, you know, meetings. uh, Some places, they never used to let us in. And we used to break up their meetings uh, because we wanted to speak and they wouldn't let us speak. So... We just used to break their meeting and say, we want to speak for five minutes. Yeah, hey, you know, like they say, you have to, to, you have to lose something to gain something. But, you know, my specialist or my doctor used to say that, what all what you're going through is because you've been through a lot through your life. You know, don't stress, don't stress. But I try to run away from stress, but stress is getting to me. I can't do nothing about it. You know, I've got a liver condition that cannot be cured. I had a heart operation that's given me four strokes, i am diabetic. diabetes, I've got type 2, I've got, I've got leg problem, thrombrosis of the legs. So I've got a lot of cl- conditions, uh, illnesses. Uh, so doctors are saying it's related, a lot of things are related to your past from childhood. I've been, since eight I've been through stress started, since my parents separated. And I've started trying to put that jigsaw puzzle together, why? And I would emphasise to parents, uh, please don't separate. Children don't have any life when parents separate. They need their parents. They need their parents' love. When I used to look and think about my children, it made me more stronger that I want my children. I want my children, they need me. And I never stopped my fight until my children came. They found it hard when they came, because bringing, they had language problems, schooling, taking to school in the mornings uh, and the comments people opening their windows and of the car, oh don't bring them up like a chip on the shoulder, sending cuttings of the newspaper with round circles saying we know where you live, marking red marks around uh, on the photographs, uh, uh, you know, making them a target, throwing You know, dirt through the letterbox. You know, I used to sleep in fear at night in case somebody throw, you know, throwing shit through your letterbox or read his letters or all sorts of things. That's a different thing. But then, you know, you're living in fear all the time. I was living in fear, going out in fear, living in your own house in fear. It was horrible. It was horrible.
0: And when you were When you were working uh, alongside the Asian youth movements during this uh, time, so during the campaign, what role do you think, uh, or in your assessment, what role did they play in uh, helping and shaping the defence campaign?
1: Oh, they did a lot of work. Uh, First of all, when they used to see, in those days we had a lot of fear Because we had a lot of national, the British national, you know, like racist organisations. The National Front, they were going around a lot. So we had to be very careful uh, going on the meetings. When we used to have defence committee meetings, uh, we used to when the phone, they used to put the radio or something near the phone so nobody, you know, in case it was tapped. We used to be scared because then they had to organise when we had to, the appeal. The, you had to organise uh, the picket at the Appeal Authority, uh, you know, with the other organisation, with the, the Defence Committee. You know, the Asian Youth Movement uh, organized a, a lot for me. You know, they did a lot. I, I, I could, you know, everybody in the Defense Committee played their role. The RCG, the Revolutionary Communist Group, they played their role. They used to come from Roncorn, Liverpool, uh, London. Asian Youth Movement used to come from Bradford. Uh, different, different places, you know, know, some places I can't pronounce, uh, you know, from everywhere, you know, everybody played their role, everyone. A lot of Labour Party played their role. You know, I can not explain, that's what I'm saying. Just, in you know, six years of campaign, cannot be explained in an hour or two hour interview. Going through bit by bit of paperwork or the campaign stuff, honest to God, it brings tears to your eyes. did I go through this? Why did I have to go through this? looking at other people's struggles you know like you mentioned the of that wind of faulting is horrifying even their struggle for generations and generations will still go on for their children to remember they won't forget do you think, for them, they will forget? No.
0: No, no I think, uh, if, you, if you look at um, the case of Windrush, the amount of agony that they went through throughout the yeah. case. I think one thing that um, I hope my listeners and anyone watching this interview recognises is that when it became a scandal, when uh, cases like yours enter the news, they don't enter the news on the first day that people are experiencing no. this. This is after months and months of it building up. Yes, yes. But when we hear it in the news, I think it's so important for us to recognize that this isn't a new story. It's only new to our ears. This is something that has been happening in the background. And I ask you, when, when you look at Britain today, when you look at the way that um, so race relations in this country, Do you think we've progressed in any way?
1: Not much. Not much. The racist laws are still there. Uh, You can still see that crime rate is still going up. There's not much down. Um, I can't see that much difference, to be honest. In certain things it might be but in some ways no, education I can't see that much difference. Children with special needs are still struggling. Where the help is needed it's not being given. Perhaps I might not be aware I don't go that much out. I can still remember when I went down you know the Liverpool struggle when there was going on there I, I went down there when the Liverpool thing was happening and I went down to their demonstration when the at Liverpool ate when their struggle was happening there and there's still struggles happening there is there any different made in Liverpool? Not much. I can't. Is there a change in the immigration laws? Not much. Our families visitors are allowed to easily. No. Our families are easy to come. No. Our people free to come and go. No. Our spouses allowed to come, easy. No. There are restrictions more than before. Before they used to be like, you used to get your nationality after a year or a stay, but now it's five years. Or you have to have, calling your husband, you have to, or your wife, you have to have a house, you have to have a wage, a job earning 20,000, or you have to have 18,000. You know, you can see they're making it more harder. Where is it easy? You know, do you think it's easy?
0: No, I am I, um, very sympathetic to a lot of the migrants who are crossing over because I, I don't think, any, no one would choose that life in the struggle. And um, sometimes I'm astounded when I read newspaper reports or I hear people talking about the issue and they completely separate the humanity of the people versus the figures that they're throwing out and that's something that I'll never understand and I think the way we talk about immigration is very ironic considering the imperial history of this country you know uh, I know that in the 70s the big slogan was you know we're we're here because you were there and I, I don't think people in this country, uh, myself included, being a British citizen, I don't think we are taught enough about our own imperial and colonial history, because that will teach us a lot about why people are fleeing their countries. Why some countries in the global south uh, aren't as, quote unquote, developed as the West It's because the West has been profiting from these other countries. The West have been profit, profiting um, from them materially. Uh, and I think that is why a lot of people are fleeing the countries. So, so for me, I I, I I just don't have any words for what's going on right now. I think we need a lot of empathy and we need to remember that we are our brother's keeper at the end of the day. I wanted to uh, ask you, what do you think the legacy of the Anwar Dita defense campaign was? Because it was such a huge campaign um, in immigration history and in the history of the Asian youth movements. But in your assessment, what do you think the legacy was?
1: I think the impact on the whole thing was that one thing, I was Asian. The other thing is that I was first woman that went out a housewife and I never looked back because the Asian community could not believe that I took this step wherever I used to go at the beginning they thought you know they never liked it and I said that it was my children, I don't give a damn what anybody thinks. They said, they used to say uh, a woman's place is in the house, not campaigning or it's not something that you should be doing. That was the Asian community's views. And in a way that I just ignored that. And I think that was a big impact on the community that I just ignored that and I just continued to struggle and I won the case. And that gave a lot of courage to a lot of women that no, a woman can fight and she can go out and struggle. I think that was a big thing.
0: And finally, I wanted to ask you, what is your message to the policymakers, the politicians, those working in the Home Office whose actions uh, can either continue this hostile environment or remedy it? What message do you have for them?
1: I would say to the politicians that please think before you make the immigration laws how it's going to affect families how it's going to destroy their lives, how are you going to divide them, please think before you make the laws because it's been how many, 40 years now, my life hasn't been put together. I'm 66 now and it still affects me. So when you're making the laws please think of the people, human beings' life that are you going to destroy. It doesn't destroy English people's lives. It's destroying people who want to make a better life easy, economically. They're working. they're coming here to work. They're make, coming here to make a good living. What's wrong with that? So please make law easy where people can come, people that abuse the system, that is a different thing. But I don't think there's a lot of people that abuse the system. I haven't seen a lot, it works either way. You cannot just blame black people that they abuse the system. That's why my message is make the law good laws where people's life can be easy. That you don't destroy people's lives.
0: That's my message. And Wadita, thank you so much for joining me on Telefriend.
1: Thank you very much for having me. I hope it will help.